Um, welcome to the Conservative Environment Network Conservative Party Conference 2020 event on market-led solutions to climate change decarbonisation through private finance. This is in partnership with the United Nations backed <coughs> principles for responsible investment that were founded in 2006 with many different types of financial institutions as members. I'm sure you'll hear more about them from um, from Will shortly. Uh, my name is Ben Caldicott. I'm one of the founders and board members of the Conservative Environment, Na uh, Environment Network. My day job is at the University of Oxford, where I run a research centre on sustainable finance. I'm also on secondment in the Cabinet Office as the COP26 Strategy Advisor for Finance. I'm delighted to be chairing uh, this event, not least because it is the opening SEN conference event. There are going to be 14 SEN events over the next two days. A big range of high-profile speakers, of course, some of them are here today, but we're also going to hear from uh, Ministers Eustace, Goldsmith, Pincher and Powell over the next two days. Um, there are also lots of innovative formats, including a Dragon's Den on nature-based solutions and a filmmaking Q&A session. You can find out more details about all the SEN events on their website, which is uh, www.sen.uk.com forward slash events. Um, this morning's session is on finance, on how we can scale up the investment required to deliver net zero in the UK, but also the 25-year environment plan, the levelling up agenda, as well as many other things. It's also going to touch on how we can green the global financial system and the role of the UK and UK financial institutions in that process. We've got four fantastic panellists, the first of which is Guy Opperman, who um, is the Minister for Pensions and Financial Inclusion, has been the MP for Hexham since 2010. We're then going to hear from Riamri Thomas, who's the CEO of the Green Finance Institute, which was set up last year with the UK government and the City of London Corporation to do fantastic things on green finance and to help the UK retain its lead in this area. We're then going to hear from Gareth Davies, who's the MP for Grantham and Stamford. Um, he's also on the Finance Select Committee and the Vice Chairman of the new APPG on Sustainable Finance. And before that, he worked for 13 years in fund management at Columbia Threadneedle, Natalie as Head of Responsible Investment Solutions. And yesterday, or the day before yesterday, published a really good report from Onward on a, a, a British Development Bank. And I'm sure we're going to hear about that. So thank you for joining. And then finally, we have Will Martindale, who's Director of Policy and Research at PRI, and Will leads PRI's Global Regulatory Affairs and Public Policy Program. Lots of experience around the world working on these topics. Each panelist is going to have three to five minutes. We're then going to have a Q&A. We've only got an hour, um, so I'm very keen that we get to a vibrant discussion as soon as possible. Please do ask questions in the chat. I should be able to see those. I'll figure that out whilst the, the panelists get underway. Um, note also that this is being recorded. Um, so uh, I'm sure these will be available on the website. Should you need to pop out for whatever reason, you can come back and watch the recording. Okay, so over to Guy as the first panelist. Thank you for joining. So uh, really kind of you to meet. Thank you uh, for uh, setting this up. Apologies if Alfie the cat, who has just featured on, featured on my Twitter account, will um, jump in and give his uh, strong opinions on this matter. Uh, but the simple matter is, it is an honour and a privilege to do this. Um, I feel very strongly that the UK is leading the way. Uh, I really do, because uh, what we've got, it seems to me, is uh, we're the first country to legislate for net zero. We are the uh, leading uh, UK, uh, the EU company, uh, country for ESG. Uh, we're hosting COP next year. I spoke to Mark Carney this week, and there is no question, there is a, uh, there's an alignment of the planets that says, that we are going to be the ones that can take this forward. And uh, as a minister, I believe very strongly that there are three ways that you can 
uh, retrofit the UK economy to get to net zero by 2050. The state can pay for everything out of taxes. Private finance can pay for everything uh, by investing. Uh, or you can utilise pensions to go forward. There is over a trillion pounds worth of money. And whilst I see a, 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 an amalgam of all three suggestions uh, being the way forward, we are going to great efforts to nudge, cajole and legislate uh, pensions to invest in a sustainable way. What that means in reality is that uh, there is, you need to discuss, first of all, whether sustainable investment constitutes a worthy but lesser form of investment in terms of return and fiduciary duty, or whether in reality, sustainable investment not only gets you a good return, but also it allows you to invest in markets that are growing rather than markets that are degenerating. So we have set up uh, ESG and uh, following that, uh, the climate change financial reporting with the first country in the world to legislate for that. We'll be doing that next Wednesday in the House of Commons, where myself and Gareth and others will be speaking to the new new laws that we're bringing in to ensure uh, that this country is going to lead the way. And I just see the most important thing is the opportunity that lies ahead, because I want the UK to, in a post-Brexit world to lead the economy on ESG and uh, sustainable finance. And that is going to be the key, key uh, investment pathway that all organizations are going to face. And as such, I think it is, an, it, President Trump has done us a massive favor by being a climate change denier. Um, the reality is the New York markets, the New York investors are many, many years behind. Whereas the UK is embracing this and the UK is in a position that they can actually lead. And I massively believe that uh, we will see a situation where UK City of London, UK UK active managers will need to do active management of sustainable finance going forward. That's what we're trying to uh, create a framework for. That's what we're trying to legislate for. As I say, we pension schemes bill this coming Wednesday. And I genuinely believe we are making a, uh, a safer, better, greener pension system that, that leads to a sustainable finance uh, sustainable investment and net zero by 2050. We're doing a pretty good job in my view. <clears throat> Great, thank you, Guy. Um, I've got lots of questions I want to ask, but I'm going to save that for the Q&A and for the audience as well. Riemery, you, you're next. Um, GFI just celebrated its one year anniversary. You're doing fantastic work on different sectors of the UK economy, amongst other things. Do tell us what you're what you're doing. Well, thank you ever so much, uh, Ben, and thank you to Minister Opperman for that. Um, particularly rousing start. Uh, private finance clearly has a key role to play supporting the green eco economic recovery and in financing the transition to a fully decarbonized economy. Not only is it important that we mobilize private capital so that we are leveraging the public resources that are channeled towards green measures, but we also need to maintain the stability of the financial system itself. So in order to do that, we need the financial services industry to replace income from the 20th century technologies with 21st century solutions to avoid getting caught on the wrong side of a transition that science dictates is inevitable. Private finance cannot act alone. There needs to be close partnership between government and financial services. One of the reasons for setting up the GFI in the first place, given the urgency with which we need to act. And I'm going to quickly try and canter through three areas for those collaborative actions, Ben. The first is transparency. Second is national financing mechanisms. And the third is local solutions. Firstly, on transparency. For the markets to operate efficiently and correctly value climate and biodiversity related risk, 
there needs to be greater transparency and disclosure. The framework developed by the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure, the TCFD, very much led by the Financial Stability Board here in the UK under the leadership of Mark Carney, developed by the market for the market. It now has over 1,440 signatories and supporters, including all the systemically important global banks, and it's a leading example of a market-led solution to climate change. However, without regulatory intervention, it remains a voluntary code. And despite all the progress, disclosure remains insufficient for investors and climate action still isn't being addressed systemically by business and finance. And just some sobering statistics that I'm going to rush through that were released last month by Black Sun regarding FTSE 100 TCFD adoption. 67 companies referenced the TCFD in their reporting, but only three companies disclosed information on all 11 TCFD recommendations in their 2019 annual reports. Less than half of FTSE 100 chief executives and chairs address climate change in their leadership statements, and 46% of FTSE 100 companies disclose climate issues as one of their principal risks, but only 7% discuss the resilience of their strategy. So here's a clear example of where the UK government needs to make TCFD disclosures mandatory, setting clear deadlines for ensuring listed companies and large asset owners report on climate-related risks and opportunities. Um, I'm sure we'll touch on that further. And also on the need for us to now incorporate biodiversity-related risks, something that you've been saying for a while, Ben, um, and again, an opportunity for the UK to show leadership on a task force on nature-related financial disclosures. I'm pleased to say Green Finance Institute is very much actively supporting. Two further points, the national financing mechanisms um, in order, you know, in response to the pandemic and on the road to our hosting COP, now is the time for the UK to establish a national investment bank. Very much looking forward to hearing Gareth's comments given the publication of a fantastic document last week. And now is also the time for the government to issue a green sovereign bond a direct mechanism to channel private capital towards net zero policy objectives. And through the judicious selection of projects, we can align the green agenda with social and economic out outcomes, a green plus guilt, if you like. And finally, the point about local solutions to channel global capital towards impactful real economy projects. We need the top down vision and we need the national mechanisms, but we also need the bottom up initiatives that overcome barriers to investment. There's growing realization across financial services of the need to invest in line with climate outcomes, but also an increasingly an understanding that that's going to take some really granular and painstaking work to identify and overcome very real barriers to investment that vary by sector, even by subsector. And that very much underpins the work that we do at the Institute, um, bringing together academic thought leaders, policy makers, regulators, industry practitioners, and finance, in order to design very practical interventions that are needed by sector. Our flagship project is around the energy efficiency of homes. It now comprises over 200 individual members, co-designing financial <coughs> solutions and enabling the policy recommendations <coughs> that we can test, demonstrate and scale so that we can mobilize global capital pools towards locally delivered outcomes. Back to you, Ben. Thank you, Ria Marie. A really ambitious agenda, and I know you're doing lots of great work, so thank you for that. Gareth, you're a, you're a man with a plan. Do you want to tell us about your plan? 
Uh, well, Ben, thank you uh, to you and to Sen for, for having me today. It's uh, one of my favorite subjects to talk about. Um, and there's really just three things that I think we can do in terms of tapping financial markets and financial capital to move forward uh, towards net zero. And that's, first of all, tapping existing money that's already in the system, already invested. Uh, we have a £7 trillion uh, fund management industry here in the UK. It's not always appreciated. And an ever-increasing number of ES funds uh, where, you know, really they are a great source for uh, investing in businesses that are moving us forward towards net zero. The second is, um, as Mari said, tapping the existing bond markets uh, that, that are already showing a great way of uh, ring-fencing capital towards green finance. I'm a big advocate of the UK issuing its first ever green sovereign bond, and perhaps we could come on to that uh, soon uh, after this uh, initial introduction. Uh, and then secondly, it's about ta uh, creating new mechanisms for opening up new markets, opening new private capital to come into this space. And as you very generously said, I issued a report this week which called for a British Development Bank, uh, very much modelled on the KFW uh, example, which has been going for decades and has really uh, levelled up uh, or levelled across Germany after the Cold War. Uh, East Germany benefited tremendously from enhanced capital. Uh, but it's also funding about 50% of renewable infrastructure in Germany. Uh, and again, we can come on onto that. But I think a new financial mechanism, new financial institution, which is able to, uh, first of all, mobilize private capital uh, in a very efficient way to this cause uh, and to new investments in infrastructure. Uh, and, and then secondly, to issue its own bonds that are very targeted towards either renewables or uh, specific regions or, or projects that help us level up, but also um, recover in a very green way. Uh, and then thirdly, it's a bit softer, but it's so important that people understand and relate to financial markets and financial services. Uh, I think it's often uh, said that, you know, we don't know anything about finance. We don't know anything about financial markets. Um, actually, finance is all around us, right? And uh, COVID has shown us that, uh, whether it's lending to small businesses or, or whatever it is, uh, finance, it really is all around. And I think having people like myself and Guy and others try and put finance in the you know in the context of everyday lives of people I think will help us move this agenda forward so I'll leave it there and we'll come on to more detailed discussions thank you Ben. great thanks Gareth and you're absolutely right you know to to that, use that example of Germany 30 years after reunification that's a seriously big that was a seriously big leveling up challenge and you need the institutions in place to help you do that and that's why your report's really really good reading and really important will over over to you thank you for joining and thank you for partnering and supporting this sen event no it's a pleasure and th th thank you very much for for having us so is our view that uh, echoing uh, comments from uh, the minister that the uk can and and, and will with that push become the greenest and most sustainable financial system in the world and that's really for two core reasons. The first is that we have political leadership and that's very evident in the case of pension policy. So the, the, the government has been a first in clarifying ESG requirements, moving ahead of many of its peers and it's making good progress on TCFD disclosure requirements and we haven't mentioned it yet but that supplements efforts by FRC and FCA including the UK Stewardship Code which is indeed uh, world, world leading. So we're beginning to have a, a financial regulatory environment that can underpin the climate policy reforms that are necessary if we're going to meet our, our net zero target. And of course, we have climate change, uh, net zero law, we have the climate change committee and we're hosting COP. So the political leadership um, is in place. 
And second, we would argue that we've got investment industry uh, leadership. So most UK investors have, at least in some form, committed to ESG principles. There's definitely progress that needs to be made, but the foundations um, are, are there, particularly in comparison to other uh, countries, including US and Japan. And some are, of course, going further. So, for example, Aviva's uh, commitment this week to uh, set net zero emissions targets for uh, its own auto enrollment default pension fund is a very good uh, example of that. And for PRI2, we've uh, uh, made a few changes this year, which I think echoes that shift. We've delisted five investors uh, that are part of our initiative that haven't met minimum sustainability uh, requirements. And we're going to have clearer outcomes-based reporting measures in place uh, uh, for next year. So we have this coming together, uh, which is reinforcing of uh, political leadership and investment practice. But in our view, if we're going to meet our de decarbonisation targets, we now need to pivot towards green outcomes. And just three examples uh, or recommendations here that we'd like to share. The first is that we make green a prerequisite for COVID recovery measures, and that should be whole of government or government-wide uh, approach. And of course, there's strong economic rationale as well as environmental rationale here, because we know that the economic multipliers of green ref reforms outperform those of non-green. Second, we need more ambition on real economy policy change. We've set out a briefing, which is included, I, I think, in, in a link uh, associated with this discussion around reforms to transport, energy efficiency, power generation, and afforestation. And that's because despite all the good efforts by investors, they're only going to be as sustainable as the economy into which uh, they invest. And we need strong support from government and industry for investors to go further. And, and finally, we need to continue the progress that's being made on sustainability disclosure and, and integration. And this pivot towards outcomes we think is really important, such that investors can really prioritise the impact and outcomes of their uh, investments uh, decisions. This really gets to what we think is the purpose of the financial system. And no topic tests that purpose uh, more than climate change. But with these reforms, and I think the reforms that have been mentioned by, by other panellists, we really do think finance can be part of that solution. So thanks, thanks about to you, Ben. Great, thanks. Thanks, Will. Um, again, lots of things I want to quiz you on. Um, so the chat feature is apparently down. The Q&A feature is apparently down. If you want to ask a question, you're in the audience, you can um, use Twitter and send me a message at, at Ben Caldicott, and I will pick that up and ask your question. But in the meantime, I've got a long list of questions. Uh, the first is, um, and I'm going to give this to Gareth first and then open it up, but you wanted to speak about green guilds. Um, are they useful? or are they just a marketing gimmick? Uh, well, thank you, Ben. Uh, uh, no, they're not uh, just a marketing gimmick, although they do have incredible uh, signaling uh, benefits. Uh, and if I'll just put it into context, so uh, green gilts are, are, uh, have expanded massively over the, uh, over the years, green bonds uh, in the private markets uh, really took hold several years ago. But um, in, in the last couple of years, we've seen national governments start to issue uh, what we call sovereign sovereign green bonds. Uh, and this is essentially just ring fencing as part of the normal bond issuance program, ring fencing uh, a portion of the of the issuance to to green uh, projects or green green renewable infrastructure, whatever it is. Uh, France was really the leader in this and they've raised around 22 billion euros, uh, mostly of other people's money uh, to fund French renewable infrastructure. Uh, by the way, I think it was 28% of their initial issue came from British investors. 
Uh, and so there's there's a, a clear market out there for investors, institutional investors who want to invest in uh, national government debt uh, that specifically and, and, you know, in a very targeted way invests in green infrastructure. And I think for Britain, uh, as we lead up to COP26, this is a real opportunity to really show the power of the city of London. Uh, but it's also a way of, um, you know, keeping money in our own country. We've invested across the world into green debt. Uh, it's about time that we invested in our own. Uh, and if you look across the world, uh, only 2% of green debt, green bonds, are uh, in GDP, in British pound sterling. And so uh, we've got a lot of work to do to get that uh, amount of issuance up. Uh, and a, a sovereign green debt around 10 billion would, would not only help transform some of the things we want to do, uh, but it would also help tap the financial markets, as I said. So it's not a gimmick. Uh, it, it has a huge signaling effect for others. It creates a benchmark for other green bonds, but it ultimately it will result in more money going into uh, kind of things that all of us on this panel want to see happen. And are you, just a quick follow-up, are you joining the dots between that that idea and your British Development Bank idea in terms of the, the, the Development Bank raising capital using, using bonds? So they're, they're complementary, uh, but you're quite right to highlight uh, one of the things that I say in the report that was out this week is that the benefit of a development bank is that it is able to issue bonds. Uh, and my proposal essentially was to create the British Development Bank as an umbrella organisation which comp comprises uh, both domestic SME financing, and we've already got that through British Business Bank, uh, and CDC, which is our overseas development finance organisation, hugely successful. You combine the assets of those two organisations you are able to issue bonds uh, and you could issue domestic green bonds, uh, which are very specific, very specific to projects or very specific to particular regions or cities. Again, KFW in Germany have been doing this very successfully. Um, my old organization invested in several of their, their bonds. Um, at, so yes, it is related. The, the headlines though are that I want the national government, I want the British government to issue a green gilt, a green national bond. Uh, and British Development Bank is a new mechanism which can do many different things, one of which is to issue its own green bonds. Yeah, thanks, Gareth. Riamri, I wanted to ask you to come in because I know you've also been doing some work on this and it might link into some of the work you're doing on different <laughs> sectors. And then we'll pivot to some disclosure type questions with Guy, if that's okay, but over to you first. That's great. I just wanted to pick up on the uh, points that Gareth was making about the bonds, which I, I fully echo. It's um, it's incumbent on the market to really make the business case to government that why issuing a green sovereign gilt is not purely a marketing ploy. Um, as Gareth mentioned, the French have really taken a lead in this. I think they've, they've come back to market 11 times, continuing to tap their issuance. I think they're actually even up to 28 billion euros now. But I think also importantly, recently the Germans issued a 6 billion euro bund which was five times oversubscribed such that it was able to uh, t to issue at tighter pricing than the non-green equivalent. So very a, a whole basis points within the other uh, example of non-green guilt, a non-green bund, definitely showing that there is value for money. I think there is also a, um, a broader business case we've seen when uh, notably in Ireland and in Belgium, when they issued their green sovereign guilt, a huge step up in domestic green bond issuance, which 
As uh, Gareth mentioned, the UK is lagging in sterling green bond issuance, despite the depth of our investors supporting the Dutch and the French. I think um, after the domestic investors, the British-based investors were the largest purchasers of both those bonds. And even in France and in Holland, where they already had a, a, a deeper green bond market before their um, sovereign was issued, that it still became a catalyst for a broader and more diverse set of, of issuers to come to market. So there really is a, a clear business case to support the city um, in this year in the run up to COP to, mm -hmm. to show real leadership. And just a very final point, going back to the, you know, the post COVID recovery, there is a real opportunity for us to show some ingenuity here by aligning the green of the green bond with defined social outcomes in energy efficiency, uh, in, across transport, across clean energy, um, which would actually be a development in the market and a development that the market will welcome work that we've been doing with the Impact Institute, Investing Institute and the Grantham Research Institute shows that uh, we've, we've definitely got um, a clamour from the markets, a real critical mass who would support a green guilt that also has social outcomes associated with it. So I think now is the time. Thanks, Ramari. Um, Guy, do you want to come in on some of this? I also wanted to ask you a bit about um, the new disclosure requirements for occupational pension schemes. Now, obviously, getting large asset owners to disclose on climate-related risks is super important. There's a, clearly a movement, though, now, particularly to get asset owners to come up with transition plans to set out how they're going to achieve net zero. Um, how do you see these things fitting together? So uh, let's tell you what I can say. I can't because will. I can't hear what they're saying, but I'm getting live text updates about your words, words of wisdom. I can hear you, Ben. I can hear Gareth, but I promise you it's not some conspiracy. Uh, so my simple point would be this. Uh, the task force on climate related uh, financial disclosures is utterly key. Uh, when I sat down in January this year, we discussed what next the UK government could do unequivocal that the strong steer was to embrace that so we set aside amending the pension schemes bill to include that and the urgency of what we're doing as a government I think can be we're not only doing that in legislation we're consulting at the same time now government never does this it never ever does this at all so uh if I've got some gray hairs you can slightly understand why our consultation closes on October the 7th our hope is that by the end of this year, we'll pass the legislation on disclosure into law and we will have consulted and will have responded to the consultation. We again, in my view, I don't know any other country that is uh, as far ahead. And I want us to be ahead, both because I think it's the right thing to do. That's the easy answer for me to say. But I also want us to be first in market. Uh, it's a commercial opportunity for the UK. And if we are the first country to do this, uh, and the asset managers are the ones who are really getting their heads around this as an early, early cause. We will the way. And it won't be just UK pension funds, however substantial they are, and they are, who are actually the ones being investing um, in the pro proper way. But also, so we'll be attracting investment from around the world. That, that's my goal. So um, there is no job matters. I think it's all about the consumer. So this can appear dry. So you, you, uh, Market-led solutions to climate change decarbonisation through private finance is not necessarily most people's Sunday morning uh, cup of tea. 
but putting you, Yuna, the individual, uh, giving them their pension, giving them power to understand how they're going to change the world, that is that that matters. And so this is about the individual. It's about making sure they understand what it is their um, pension is being invested in. And in my view, quite clearly, you need to see greater investment in renewables. There is change in going forward. I sat down with the FCA, with Chris Woolard, and the last thing that he did, it's not been noticed much, but uh, I'm, I've got to try and publicize it uh, going forward. But the FCA have speeded up the asset managers. So they are now going to be uh, tailing with what DWP and government are doing uh, in terms of disclosure and uh, the work that they're doing uh, in terms of uh, TCFT as well. So I personally, there is great opportunities here. Disclosure is good. I think it also nudges people into an investment in renewables, uh, hydrogen. Uh, you see the work that uh, Ben Houch and our brilliant mayor in Teesside is doing there. And I, I also want to finish on one final point, which is I've discussed with Gareth the idea of green gilts. Uh, it seems to me that it is, makes total sense. Uh, I fully support it. Uh, I'm fully aware Germany's got a 26 billion pound green gilt. Uh, the French have got a massive green gilt. About 50% was invested by UK pension funds. Uh, uh, I would like this in this country. I would go way bigger than 10 billion. Though. I mean, I realise um, let's get 10 billion over the line, but um, no disrespect to the UK Treasury, but uh, if the Germans can do 20, uh, I think we can do an awful lot more than 10 billion. Yeah, I think there's, um, I'd echo that, you know, if we're going to do it, do, do it properly, because we're also way behind in, you know, for a lot of these go other... Big or go home. Exactly, exactly. And try out some new things as well. Um, Will, you're, you're, you've got a global function. You're looking around the world at all these policy developments. There's a huge amount going on. Um, you know, are all these claims of UK leadership on the money, or are we are we kind of living a bit of a fantasy? Tell us what you think. <laughs> no, they, they they are. Oh wow, nice to see your cat, guy. <laughs> um, they, they 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 are they are on the money. Um, uh, but but I think I think when we group UK with our uh, European neighbours, we have a centre of leadership here across. Uh, 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 this continent, and I think that we've spoken about French and German le uh, le leadership uh, so far, but we need to put that in comparison to what we're seeing in the US. And unfortunately, in the US, uh, sustainable finance is seen as a political football. We had progress under the Clinton administration, it came back under the Bush administration, it went back in the other way under the Obama administration, and now under the Trump administration, uh, we're regressing quite considerably. We're regressing on ESG disclosure requirements and pension reform, and we're regressing on real uh, economy sustainability uh, issues that we're seeing with EPA uh, 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 amendments and so forth. So I think Guy's absolutely right when he says that actually this creates a commercial opportunity for us as the UK where international capital is looking to flow. It's not going to look to flow to the US where there, there, there's, there's clear problems when it comes to sustainability. And then if we move to uh, colleagues in, in, in China and Japan, we are seeing some progress, although from a lower base. Uh, and I think that uh, we're seeing uh, Europe and China start to have some conversations around its taxonomy and around other types of reforms. We're starting to see Europe look in that direction uh, for its future when it comes to sustainable finance, rather than across the Atlantic to the US. Which I think positions the UK pretty nicely, actually. 
we're pretty well respected around the world uh, on, on, on these types of reforms. We've got good connections for our Commonwealth relationships. We're well respected in, in, in Japan. We've got good connections in, in China. And if we can use the things that we do well, which is say pension reform, corporate governance, stewardship, TCFD disclosure, work underway by the Bank of England, I do think that we uh, have a leadership position and one that we can push much, much, much further still. So, so one specific question for you is around developments in Europe and the EU taxonomy and yep. um, other things that are coming through the pipeline. And there has been a body, uh, you know, group of institutions arguing, including, I think, PRI, um, saying that the UK should adopt this stuff wholesale. And I'm just wondering what, what, what you think about that, say a bit more about that, but also what other people think. For what it's worth, I mean, I do think there's, a, there's an opportunity here for the UK to crystallise, articulate its principles-based common law approach to, to solving these problems rather than just taking everything from Brussels. But well, do you want to start off responding to that? Yeah, well, I mean, in the green finance strategy, uh, we commit to the same level of ambition as articulated by that uh, in, 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 in Europe. And I, I'd like to think that we will meet that and indeed uh, surpass that. We, we do uh, support the EU taxonomy, and it is worth just taking a moment on that. So for listeners that aren't familiar, it's a classification system, essentially a list of economic activities and performance measures. Economic activities can range from something like electric vehicle manufacturing through to cement production. And it includes a performance measure, i.e. what kind of uh, carbon emission is consistent with Europe's trajectory to be net zero. So in the case of electric vehicle production, uh, the cars need to have less than 50 grams of CO2 per passenger kilometre to be considered green. Now, that level of granularity is incredibly useful if you're an investor, because for the first time, you have a very clear uh, regulatory back tool that tells you what's green and what's not green. And for in investors definitely do have expertise on sustainability topics, but they're not hired to be environmental experts, they're hired to be finance experts. And so having a market-led and regulatory-backed tool that helps them understand the alignment of their portfolio with a sustainability goal, we, we, we think we think there's value in that. So so a short answer to your question is, is yes, the UK may uh, decide to take uh, 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 other measures, but as long as we maintain that level of ambition, I, I think that's probably okay. Anyone else want to come in on that? Ben, can I just comment on uh, I, the first thing that Will said around international comparisons, and particularly in the United States. Um, my old job, I did a lot of work and, and, and lived and worked in the United States. And uh, I don't think it's uh, totally true for the whole country, right? So if you look at the New York, uh, for, for example, the East Coast foundations, you look at the Californian pension plans like CalPERS and Calsters, huge, huge uh, asset owners. They have been investing in this way for a long time. But Will is right in that it creates an opportunity for British fund managers in that we, we are you know, pretty advanced in terms of how we can offer specific funds. Uh, and I'd like to see, uh, you know, again, we as a country branch out into the United States in a more aggressive way and help facilitate fund managers to do that. I've had discussions with our trade department about in the upcoming FTA with the United States, how can we help support British fund managers tap into the, the assets that are over there? Because there is actually demand in the United States for investing in this way. But I also sympathize with some of the investors in the United States in that this whole market has been badly served historically by funds that have quite frankly been uh, a little bit too much uh, campaigning. Uh, they've not been about financial returns. They've been uh, 
you know, unapologetically doing good without actually giving a decent financial return. The only way this happened at scale, the only way we can really, really tap uh, financial markets is to ensure that you deliver a market level uh, of financial return and achieve, you know, and achieve uh, the things you want on net zero or whether it's social outcomes or whatever. You can't, it shouldn't be an either or. And, and I think some investors around the world still have that in their mind that the historic funds in this space, uh, you know, frankly, have performed absolutely appallingly because they intended to. Uh, the market has now changed. You no longer have to do that. And actually, through this crisis, ESG funds have outperformed. Uh, on China, I actually helped launch uh, PRI in Beijing in, uh, a couple of years ago with your CEO, Will. Um, I used to deal with all the big asset owners, the sovereign wealth fund in, uh, in, in, in Shanghai. And I, I think, look, there is an appetite among some of the decision makers there. And uh, Xi Jinping has definitely made a, a lot of positive noises about tapping that, um, you know, the pools of assets. And, and again, it's up to British investors to uh, find ways of facilitating that capital. Um, clearly, China's got some wider issues with their environmental agenda. But uh, the, the asset pool is that creates a great opportunity for fund managers uh, globally. Thanks, Gareth. Does anyone else want to come in? Ben, I was just going to sort of pick up on, on the thread here in that um, ESG investing, there's a growing body of evidence demonstrating that ESG investing uh, outperforms and other standard benchmarks. And, and as a result of that, even in the US since the beginning of the year, we've seen net inflows into ESG aligned funds, showing that we really are moving uh, away from this idea that it's uh, it's some sort of do-gooding, knit-your-own-porridge-yield-sacrificing effort and actually something that is actually appealing more and more to mainstream investors. I also wanted to go back to the point about UK leadership. I think the UK early on has realised that in order to create the, the pipeline of investment opportunities in, for, for finance to invest, we, we need close collaboration between uh, public and private. We, we were the first to, to launch a green investment bank that did a phenomenal job in creating an offshore wind industry in the UK. 40% of global installed offshore wind capacity sits around the British coastline. Uh, it's now fully funded by institutional investors with the Green Investment Bank and other legislative measures playing a role in de-risking that early stage investment and making a success. I think by 2030, uh, 27,000 jobs estimated to be in that space too. So a, a success. Uh, we were the first to have a green finance task force, so a government-led group of private sector individuals uh, advising on how we accelerate green finance, uh, which has been emulated in a number of other countries, uh, including Australia, and now a green finance institute that obviously set up a year ago that's again building on that work and has at its as its mandate the need to collaborate, bringing policymakers together with finance in order for us to actually start creating those opportunities on the ground to start investing in. Just very quickly, one of our key flagships on energy efficiency of buildings, where we have been highlighting the very real barriers for investment, <clears throat> both um, at, at that local level and working with international bodies to look at how has this been solved in some other jurisdictions, bringing in best practice like the property assessed clean energy programs we've seen in the US that has managed to um, catalyze $5 billion of, in, of institutional investment into retrofitting homes, or uh, as we've seen in Germany, the success of digital passports for buildings that provide a renovation pathway. 
Um, this is the sort of granular work that we need to do. And I do, I do think, you know, the UK has been at the forefront of thinking about how we solve some of these problems. Absolutely. Now, I've got, I'm getting questions now successfully from the audience. I'm going to clump a few together because there's a, there's a theme emerging. Um, so John Hislop asks, with Brexit in hand, we'll see government interest. Will we see government interest and will the government be willing to take risk in new strategic projects supporting industry? That's one question. Another question from David Dundas about um, hydrogen. So the EU is committed a lot of money to hydrogen. So is the German government. Is this something that we might do in the UK? Um, John Hislop asking another question about uh, high-speed rail and infrastructure investment. And, and, and again, could that link to this green guilt? Um, and another, another question from James um, Mactelau about offshore wind. You know, great success story in some respects, but we don't have any UK-owned turbine manufacturers. Is there, is there a role here for finance and some sort of strategic inter intervention? So a few questions about industries, strategic industries, the role of government and the role of finance. Who wants to have a crack? Okay. Shall I go first? Sure. So I think there are issues here. The traditional industries are changing. I look at what Bernie Looney is doing at BP, for example. I sat down with BP. I visited one of their solar farms in Scotland only a month ago. There is a tremendous change in the owners of significant uh, petrochemical companies who are now becoming energy companies, putting it bluntly. And there will be a transition for them, and we need to help them uh, manage that transition. We want their jobs, we want their investment in this country, but also business is part of the solution, just part of the problem. And uh, it is absolutely the case that we need the likes of BP, Shell, and others uh, committing to net zero and uh, providing the tech know-how, the infrastructure and the capability to give us uh, the uh, platform and the actual uh, tech that's going to get us to net zero. So uh, I do think there is a strategic industry that is developing. Um, I think we are ahead of the European in many respects. Uh, I think the point about Green Gilts and that they need to come on stream to tr help finance this. And I certainly have a lot of UK pension saying, give us the opportunity we could potentially. I genuinely see partnering forward between pension funds, specific uh, companies. At the moment, the way you, you build a wind farm is a farmer identifies a field, uh, gets planning permission, then flogs it on, and a company like BP Lightsource comes in, and then we'll build the wind farm. Personally, I would like funds going direct to market in there and uh, doing this themselves. There's no reason why they shouldn't do this. And that would be the direct investment. And in terms of uh, finding a government vehicle to support, if we are going to do nuclear, I think if you're going to do um, more side, if you're going to do the North Wales uh, projects, then there has to be a uh, new nuclear uh, guilt or a new nuclear bond that is the way ahead on this. And there has to be, a, if government's not going to pay for it direct and private finance are not going to pay for it, and you deal new nuclear is a good idea or hydrogen is a good idea, you have to find a third way of finance and i believe that we're with that but there's no doubt that uh uk government supports what's going on and is uh trying to set out a pathway to go forward just okay. like to pick up on some of those points ben and thank you to the viewers for sending in the questions a number of these technologies 
Um, from a finance perspective, they require high levels of upfront capital expenditure in order to, to get the operating savings later on. And that obviously requires uh, some de-risking and assistance from public finance in order to crowd in and mobilize the private finance. We saw in the case of offshore wind, very successful applications of contracts for differences, essentially guaranteeing a floor price for uh, generated electricity. And that is a mechanism that we could see being used in other areas to uh, catalyze investment in early stage shipping technology, for example, as well as hydrogen and some of the other uh, topics that were mentioned. Um, and very much would hope that the National Investment Bank would be set up in such a way that it had a very clear risk mitigation mandate, one that went way beyond trying to do match funding with the private sector and one that actually really tried to leverage multiples of private sector money into new asset classes and new opportunities for investment. So very much a call for government financing to be used where possible as, as first loss, as guarantees mechanisms, contracts for difference, um, rather than and moving away from direct grant funding or, di or direct investment uh, so that we can actually really take advantage of the situation where we do have increasing numbers of private investors wanting to invest in ESG, but sometimes failing to see uh, where the risk adjusted return opportunities are. Thank. Can I can I just follow up and have fierce agreement with with what's just been said? And and Guy is absolutely right as well. There's a way for government to play in the initial stages, um, but to mobilise capital, right? And and there's this thing called the mobilisation rate. Um, uh, Green Investment Bank, uh, as Riamari quite rightly said, was set up in 2012. That had a mobilisation rate of around 3.4. What that means is for every one pound of government spend it mobilized 3.4 pounds of private capital. Uh, the report this week that I, I launched with Onward called for a British development bank to do exactly the same with a mobilization rate of around four. And the four was from uh, guidance of other development banks around the world who have a, a, a similar mobilization rate. But the, the key here is that you put a, a small amount of government capital in to facilitate mobilized additional private capital. And it comes around to what Grimari was saying around, you know, the, 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 the construction risk, the, the the early stage risk that's involved here. Um, and we had actually, we've got a scheme called the UK Guarantee Scheme, um, which was set up a few years ago with great intentions. Uh, but unfortunately, I think it was intended to guarantee around 40 billion pounds worth of projects. Uh, but unfortunately, uh, a few years on, it's only done about 1.8 billion um, and nine projects. Uh, and so again, you know, the call this week was basically to take that capital, put it into a development bank to really facilitate and capitalize the capital. And that's how we move into nuclear in a more aggressive way. That's how we move into, you know, uh, other forms of renewable infrastructure, uh, in my view. So one question um, from Teresa Heritage, who is a SEN councillor. Uh, local government wants to go green. Post-COVID, we don't have the money available to implement green strategies. What can green finance, sustainable finance, all these ideas do to help us in local government? Ben, I'm happy to jump in with a very practical example from one of our coalition members um, on the energy efficiency of buildings, uh, which is a community municipal investments. So crowdfunding, effectively giving retail investors an opportunity to invest in their local community 
to uh, produce things like uh, solar parks, solar panels that then provide a benefit to the entire community. So there is a huge opportunity here for us to work with local authorities um, to look at ingenious solutions such as that. Um, and obviously at the Green Finance Institute, we also work very closely with UK 100, which is a grouping of, of, of local authorities recognizing um, that there's a lot to be done to provide additional bandwidth, additional expertise, and to, to scale up solutions that we see working in one jurisdiction. So the CMI has been launched in West Berkshire, for example. How do we make sure that that's something that can be rolled out right across the country uh, so that we can, we can amplify its success? Gareth, I, I, sorry to pick on you again, but the because this British Development Bank proposal had a number of different features, one of which was supporting local government. Do you want to say how that might work? Well, I think one of the the main points around that was to, to localise decision making when it comes to any kind of infrastructure, uh, new transport infrastructure, whatever it is. And it's not not just about local councils, but, you know, mayors and any any localised body that really understand both what is needed and uh, and what is acceptable on a local level, giving more uh, influence, more say in how uh, these projects are developed and what projects are, are developed in the first place is really the, the main thrust of what I was uh, saying. Um, but this body, this British Development Bank, would be a, it would be a centralised body based in, in the north of England, um, uh, overseeing uh, national projects, you know, this is this is go go big or go home uh, kind of stuff, but with localised input, and that is absolutely critical. Um, Mara is quite right. You know, if you look at the United States, they've got a municipal bond market uh, where localised authorities are issuing bonds, which are, you know, I think it's above a trillion dollars uh, of, of capital. I'm not proposing a municipal bond market for the United Kingdom. We've got the Public Works Loan Board. Uh, we've got other mechanisms available to local authorities, but I think there is some merit to explore that at a later point um, to to see you know if if councils could look to do that in the future at some point. I'm not sure we're, we're there yet. Ben, can I come in? Yes, of course. So uh, obviously, I welcome the Business Development Bank coming to the England, and we would suggest Hexham is logical and sensible place uh, to base. Uh, say, financial institution. Um, the serious point is a local government point. Uh, I have a, a passion for trying to ensure that local government invests in a slightly different way. And they're commonly known as illiquids, but you have an opportunity, it seems to me, and we have a consultation outstanding as to how, as part of a balanced local government portfolio, a pension fund could look at uh, what it is investing in. And there is no Reason why going with the appropriate pension, uh, a uh, UK-based uh, local government pension fund couldn't invest in as part of its pension portfolio things like social housing, things like key worker housing. They, now, you know, uh, housing associations do this all the time. Uh, they have no difficulty whatsoever. There is no reason why they couldn't try and power some of their municipal properties by investment in renewables, and this would be paid for out of effective redemption scheme in some shape or way of doing it. And I echo um, Gareth's point about the Business Development Bank issuing local bonds. There are some mayors, I would particularly cite um, Andy Street and Ben Houchen, but there are others as well, to be fair. There are some mayors who are beginning to look at that 
uh, Benedict doing great work, work on T cell. But my view, if you had the ability to build into local to bid into local bonds, uh, you would definitely have the opportunity to shape the way your local community is investing, which goes back to democratic accountability. Because with great power, these mayors must be accountable. And the accountability can be in how are you investing the money that you have, not only uh, as part of direct government investing, but the money that is there to invest uh, for public sector workers who work for the local council. Ben, the, uh, sorry to, to just put, pick up on a uh, guy's point around investing. He's totally right, by the way. Um, you know, the way in which local councils can play a big part already right now is to look at how they're investing pension assets. Uh, and we've, we should all feel very fortunate that we've got Guy in the position that he's in because he totally gets this. Um, That's the kiss my... death to my career, right? It's a bit like the manager <laughs> saying, we have total confidence in him. I've been called from Boris in, uh, in 10 minutes going, right, you're out. <laughs> well, I hope not for, for, for everybody's sake. But but uh, he, he, he is right, Ben, in that, um, that there is a lot of assets Sets there among local government pension plans. But again, I would stress uh, two things. One is that any investment needs to be, to, you know, to stand up to the risk return uh, scrutiny that it should, right? So every investment that any pension fund makes should deliver a market level uh, financial return. Otherwise, frankly, it is philanthropy. Uh, and we should, we should call that what it is. Uh, the second point, though, which is a much more serious point, uh, is that I think there is a worldwide disconnect between the pensioners, whether it's actually pensioners or private individuals, and the gatekeepers to that capital. Um, there's a disconnect there, right? So what that means is most pension funds in, in Britain are um, overseen and advised by a handful of investment consultants. And uh, when you're a fund management organization, you pitch for... Uh, investment, not to the direct pensioners, not to the, not always to the pension schemes themselves, but to those gatekeepers, to those investment consultants. And my experience, uh, you know, going back several years now, is that there is this disconnect. The pensioners, the pension schemes, do want to invest in a certain way uh, that is, you know, uh, good for the environment, good for society, but the investment consultants aren't, you, you know, approving managers to enable them to do that. And so I think for us in, in Britain, in government, as a market, there is a lot of work we need to do to ensure that those gatekeepers who have tremendous power, I think it's 80% of pension funds in the United Kingdom are advised um, or overseen by one of these uh, consultants. If we don't get them on board, if we don't get them to start advising and moving capital in the right direction, uh, then none of this is going to happen, quite frankly. And the pensioners, the pension schemes themselves could want to do this but if they're, if they're not able to because of their advisor, because of the consultant, uh, then nothing happens. Super important. And of course, the reforms that Guy is introducing will help pension trustees sort of up their game in, in this respect and, and scrutinise quickly. I cannot overstate the FCA decision. I'm posting it on Twitter now uh, on aligning asset managers to what DWP is doing with pensions is key because Gareth's point is totally right. Traditionally, asset managers have lagged behind and have gone, I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to engage in the same way that all of us want to engage. Uh, the FCA decision uh, is very significant. I'll post it now.
Grammary, you're on mute, I think. I just wanted to give a, a shout out to both Aviva and Nest Pensions, who in the last couple of weeks have aligned their entire portfolios with uh, environmental outcomes in response to the Make My Money Matter campaign, being uh, which is founded and headed up by Richard Curtis, the film director, um, and obviously the founder of Comic Relief. Um, that's that's 10 million pensions that they are, you know, that are now aligned to climate outcomes. It's a start and it's one to be celebrated. Um, and thanks for, and you know, thanks are due to Minister Opperman and the work that he's doing in helping make this the norm for all our pension funds right across the country. So we are nearly out of time. I'm going to ask Will actually the, the, to say if he wants to comment on any of those things. You've been relatively quiet, Will. Sorry. No, no, not at all. I've, uh, the conversation has been fascinating. I, I think I think there's a, a, a theme that's underpinned all of the different topics that we've been discussing, and that's around dependent, dependable, understandable patient capital. And this, we're looking at both sides of the ledger here, the asset side and the liability side. So the, the, the reason why we want a green guilt is because pension funds can invest in guilds and they want that patient, understandable, dependable capital. The reason we want contracts for difference in our renewable energy market is because it reduces the risk on financing low carbon energy projects. It's again, that's a dependable, understandable patient capital. We talk about lo lo local schemes, things like buildings efficiency, transport schemes, rollout of EV infrastructure, cycle infrastructure, and so forth. Again, it's because pension funds uh, can invest in, 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 in that. And so I think there's a theme that's that, 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 that's been uh, consistent through, the, through all of the threads of the conversation. And this is where we get back to the opening comments around political leadership. We've got, we've got the pension capital to do it, and we know where it needs to go. If we can bring that together through political leadership, then, uh, uh, that, 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 then we'll be making the progress that we need to make. Very good point on which to end, I think, given that it's a Sunday, I promise that we would finish on time. Um, so thank you all so much for joining this first SEN event for Conservative Party Conference 2020. 13 more to go. Um, great selection of different events. Look on their website to find out more. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for your questions. Hope you found that really interesting. I think this has also been recorded, so you should be able to watch it again or watch bits you might have missed for whatever reason. So thank you again. Have a good Sunday.